Thank you, Nicole and Joel. And I want to say to you this morning that if you find yourself identifying with some of the testimonies you've heard or in the skit, that there's hope for you. You do not have to live under the control of substance or habits or patterns in your life that are months or years or decades old. There is power in Jesus Christ to free you from that. You can be freed from it. You can. And even though right now you may hear in your ear the voice of the enemy, the devil, and he's saying to you, no, you can't. That's for other people. It doesn't apply to you. You've done too much. That is a lie. That is a lie. Jesus Christ is able to free you this morning. And we, we would invite you to come to him today. We would also invite you to be a part of a ministry that we have here at the church called Celebrate Recovery that meets every Friday night to help people like you. There's information about that in our worship folder today. You can also call the church, and we'll be glad to answer questions about it. But we would love to have you come as a guest and just check it out and find out for yourself what the truth is. Well, speaking of the truth, that brings us to the topic that we begin today, a new subset of this series on the defense of our faith that we call apologetics. Today, the title I'm giving to the series that we'll be entering now through the end of the summer is Truth or Consequences. Truth or Consequences. The title itself implies that truth exists. And it suggests that if that truth is not followed, then there are consequences. Now, to be honest with you, that is a revolutionary idea in our world today. People do not like to accept the notion I've just given you, that truth exists and that if you don't follow the truth, there are consequences for it. That is out of sync with our pluralistic, tolerant society. That's why it is so important for you and me to understand the truth about truth. I invite you to open your Bible with me to John chapter 18. Jesus is standing here before Pilate at his trial. Jesus says to Pilate, verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. Ah, oh, you are a king then, Pilate said. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Notice what Jesus said there. Everyone on the side of truth. In other words, there is another side. There's the side of truth, and then there's another side. Those on the other side do not listen to him. But he says, those on the side of truth listen to me. And then he says, 
or rather Pilate says to him in response to that, what is truth? That sarcastic question, and it probably was sarcastic, that question of Pilate is a question of the ages. What is truth? That is an important question, especially in an age in which there is so much confusion like ours. Confusion that comes out of a lot of postmodern thought. What is truth? Well, let me try to give you a positive answer for that. Here's an attempt to define truth. On the one hand, truth is what is certain, what is unchangeable, what is dependable. That's truth. In fact, those words relate to the Hebrew word in the Old Testament that's often translated truth or faithfulness. So truth could be defined as what is dependable, what is unchangeable or certain. Truth is that which is the same today as it was yesterday in this definition. But truth can also be defined as what is real, as opposed to what seems to be, or what changes, or what is false. Truth is what is real. How many of you remember Sergeant Joe Friday from Dragnet? What was his famous statement? Just the facts. The facts, ma'am, just the facts. Just the real facts. Well, that helps us to come closer, I think, to what truth is, because truth is what corresponds to the facts, to reality. I can say this morning, I am in church. Is that true? Well, it is the truth. The reality, the objective reality is that I'm here in this place and I'm meeting with you, so I am in church. It is the truth. Last week we talked about uh, Jesus' resurrection. And we talked about the demonstrable objective facts regarding his resurrection. We talked about the empty grave. We talked about the changed disciples. We talked about the frustrated enemies because they could not produce his body and put an end to this rumor that Jesus had risen from the dead. We talked about all of those things that are objective facts and so we can conclude from those facts the truth that Jesus actually rose from the dead. That truth corresponds to the facts. Now, not everyone agrees these days that truth is defined that way. There are some people today who say that no one can know or say what the truth is. They believe it's impossible for a person to state categorically, this is the truth. And they're very firm about that. Now, their idea, I think, is a rather silly one. It is silly for this reason, that if there is no definitive truth, how can one state definitively that no one can know what the truth is? You see, it is a self-defeating kind of notion, and yet it is very, very common to hear people talk like that in our culture today. Others say 
that we can know some truths, for example, that there's a law of gravity, or that two plus two equals four. We can know some truths, but we cannot really know ultimate truth. That is, answers to questions about God and about morality. We can't really know, they say, those kinds of truths. There are still others who would say that uh, truth is relative. They say whatever the truth is depends. It depends on what is is, if you catch the drift of that. It depends upon a variety of things, they say, like the circumstances that are involved or the times. And so they would say what's true for you is fine, but it may not be true for me or for somebody else because truth is relative. And so if, for example, a man comes out of a tribal group in Papua New Guinea and he says, the earth is flat. These people, the relativists, would say, that's his truth. That's truth. That's truth for him. The earth is flat. But what's the problem with that? It doesn't correspond to reality. The facts are different than that. We know the fact that the earth is a globe. It's not flat. But a relativist would say, well, that's okay. That it's a globe is your truth. That it's flat is his truth. And you can see very quickly what utter nonsense comes out of that kind of thinking. Or we have someone like you and me, I would hope, who stands up and says, Jesus is Lord. And then someone else from a different culture stands up and says, Allah is Lord. The common thinking in our culture today, which comes out of relativism, is, well, that Jesus is Lord is your truth. That Allah is Lord is his truth. And so the conclusion is, both are what? Both are true. Because you see, that's him speaking out of his culture, out of his community, out of his language, and therefore out of respect for him, that's his truth. That is a truth, just as it is true to be able to say, Jesus is Lord, if that's your community and your culture. There's only one problem with that. It doesn't correspond with the reality. There is only one Lord. Those two ideas, Jesus is Lord, Allah is Lord, are mutually exclusive. You cannot put those two together. They do not fit together. You cannot say reasonably that both statements are true. One or the other has to be true. But in our culture, we don't want to offend. We want to be very tolerant. And so in order to achieve that, we adopt the idea of relativism, that there are many truths, 
And if they contradict each other, oh, so what? What bother to think about contradictions? We just accept them. Utter and complete nonsense. There's a growing majority of people who approach all of life with a basic assumption. And that assumption is, if truth exists, if truth exists, it cannot be finally and universally known. If it exists, who can know it? This is where Pilate was. Jesus said, I came to bear witness of the truth. And Pilate threw up his hands and with sarcasm said, oh, come on, what is truth? And ladies and gentlemen, that is where our world is today. Now, the Christian view is quite opposite. The Christian view is that truth does exist. And that because it exists, it also can be known. What you believe about truth makes a huge, huge difference in your life. It makes a difference in how you live, and I will guarantee you it will make a difference where you spend eternity. So on the one hand, we have a culture around us that says, if there is such a thing as truth, and there's a big question mark about that, if there is such a thing as truth, no one can really know it. It cannot be finally known, ultimately known. We're just kind of lost in this maze of tolerance and confusion. In contrast to that is the biblical Christian who says, there is truth. And that truth can be known and must be known. Now, folks, in the past... Our culture was not like it is today. In the past, there was a, a recognition of the concept of universal truth. And by the way, if you're worried about where is he on the outline here, I haven't gotten to point one yet. <laughs> and I'll tell you another little secret. We're not going to get to point one today. We may get to point one. That's as far as we're going to get. Because uh, I need to lay a foundation this morning for this, this part of the series about what is truth. But in the past, our culture has had the notion that there's a universal truth. That's why we called places like Stanford, Stanford what? University. Or we, do, we, we called the state school system the University of California. Why was it called a university? Well, the word university comes out of the word universe. And the word universe means all turned into one. In other words, the idea in universe as in university is that everything you see, all, can come together. That there is a way to put all of these pieces together to have a unified 
view of reality in the world. And so we have universities. People accepted when universities began to be known as that, that there was a cohesive truth that wove together the many parts of knowledge. And so whether it was philosophy or literature or science or theology, they all got along together. They all coexisted within an integrated framework, an understanding that all fits into one. And you know what the result of that was? Tremendous cultural energy. A cultural energy that was based on a biblical concept of universe. A cultural energy that produced the most fantastic culture this world has ever known. The Western culture which produced for you and for me the greatest personal freedom, the highest standard of living, and the most advanced in science and technology in the history of the world. There is a reason that third world nations are third world nations. It is not economics. It is not their, their lack of natural resources. It is not whether they possess military might or modern technology. The reason that third world nations are third world nations is because of their culture. And in particular, their understanding of truth that arises out of their deepest belief systems i.e. their religion. So what I'm saying to you today is that the, the biblical framework, the biblical worldview of Christianity, which has been at the core of what we know as the Western civilization, granted it was founded upon the Greek philosophers and so forth, but from the fourth century on, Increasingly, it became, the biblical worldview became a part of the culture that formed what you and I know today. And it produced tremendous advantage for those of us who lived under its influence. But things are a-changing, and they are changing so rapidly that it's breathtaking. Even when I was in school, there was still a semblance of this idea of universe. But now, in just a few decades, our culture has moved away from that to the idea of pluralism. If our schools of higher learning were to be honest today, they would change their names. And they would call themselves something like Stanford Multiversity or the Pluralversity of California. Because you see, the faculties in these places no longer accept the idea that there is this unifying, cohering truth 
It's pluralism today and relativism. And there are many truths. We've lost the idea that there is a, <clears throat> a harmonious, <clears throat> excuse me, unifying principle that brings everything together in education and in culture, for that matter. Why is it today that uh, there is not an emphasis upon language and, and culture and borders? which are needed in order to protect our nation, it's because of this whole change away from truth to pluralism. For me to stand here today and to say to you that our culture is the superior culture of the world is blasphemy. It is blasphemy to those who believe in pluralism. Because you can't say that one culture is superior than another. You can't do that. It's not nice to say that. Our movement away from the concepts of universal truth has resulted in the disintegration of our culture. It has. Unless God intervenes, and God can always do that, God may be gracious and merciful to us, though we don't deserve it for sure. Unless God intervenes, the Western culture, as you and I have known it historically, is in its last breaths. I read an article this last week regarding the Islamization of Europe. That in a matter of years, Europe, unless something changes, will be Islamic. You see, as our culture has deteriorated, the Islamic culture has become empowered. And that is a huge threat to our future. Well, I've enjoyed getting some of that off my chest this morning. So now, <laughs> now let me get to um, my first point. And the main thing I want you to get today and next week, it's this, that truth exists. I don't care what you hear on television, on talk shows, in your classroom, on the campus, you remember this because it is absolutely vital to your, to your personal well-being as well as to your faith, that truth exists. And you can know what truth is. I'm talking about this because every one of us who follows Jesus Christ should be able to defend that idea that there is truth. Because that's where the battle is out there in our culture. We should be able to defend the idea that truth exists and you can know what it is. And I will say this again, that Christianity stands or falls upon that idea. And so do you. Therefore, discovering the truth is your most urgent quest in life. Because you see, the truth is like a lighthouse 
set on a rocky shore where there are the, the destruction, destructed, destroyed, there we go, the destroyed remains of past cultures. The truth is on that shore warning us about what will come. And if we do not take heed to this lighthouse that there is truth and we can know it, then we personally and our culture will end up on the rocks destroyed. And so we come back to the question of Pilate, what is truth? And here's point number one for today. It is. Truth is what God is. I-S, is. You see, truth is one of the attributes or the qualities of God. In Psalm 31 and verse 5 it says, Into your hands I commit my spirit. Immediately you notice this is the verse that Jesus quoted on the cross. The psalmist goes on to say, Redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth. And so the inspired psalmist calls God the God of truth. Now the word truth here is that word I referred to earlier that means firmness. You are the God of reliability. You are the God of continuance. It carries with it the idea of unchangeableness. That he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It means that he is dependable, that he is faithful. There's a similar phrase in Isaiah 65 and verse 16 where he is called the God of truth. A different word here though, similar meaning, but I point it out because you have said this Hebrew word. It's the word amen. God is amen, is what it says. And here the idea is, God is, so shall it be. God is the God of truth, and it shall be, because God is. In Psalm 86 and verse 15, but you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And that word faithfulness is our word truth. You are a God of truth. And all of this makes even more relative what Jesus says in, I should say relevant, excuse me, what Jesus says in John 14 and verse 6 when he says, I am the way, the what? The truth and the life. So you see, Jesus in making that statement is saying, I am the truth. Just as God of the Old Testament is the truth, I am that God, I am the truth. And no one comes to the Father but through me. And so God eternally exists as truth. He is the ultimate objective reality against which everything else is measured. Now, there are a lot of relative things. I could say to you this morning, I'm very warm under these lights. But you know what? We'll probably get another note this morning saying, 
The auditorium was cold again this morning. And you know we have that every week. Some people find it comfortable. Some people find it warm. Some people find it cold. Why is that? Which is the truth? Well, you see, we're measuring that not against some objective standard, but against our own personal body temperature or whether we have a fever or whatever else may be going on with us. And maybe we're just in that part of life where everything's cold, you know. And so it's truth for me and it's truth for you. But that's not the kind of truth I'm talking about here with God. We're talking about ultimate truth. Where God is the ultimate standard and he is the measure of all things. Now the Greek philosopher Protagoras had a different idea. And it's his idea that has now sup, uh, undermined the, the, the Western culture. When he said man is the measure of all things. Have you ever heard that? If you had philosophy 101 in college, you heard that idea. Man is the measure of all things. Well, that brings us to humanism, where man himself is the measurement, and to relativism and all of the problems that we are facing in our culture today. But our faith is different than that. The Bible teaches that God is truth. He is the measure of all things. And so when I hear a little voice in my ear that says, you are as worthless, you are as stupid, you are as dumb as your father said you were. You have a choice to make. Because you see, that statement was a lie. It was a lie. Why it was said, I don't know. I don't know the context of it. But I know a lot of us heard that kind of a statement when we were little. And that lie has repeated itself over and over and over and over in our minds until we think it's the what? The truth. But you measure that against God. Friend, God doesn't love junk. He loves you because he created you in his image. God doesn't see you as dumb and stupid and worthless and you just put your adjective on there. God sees you as one that he desperately loves. He sees you as one of such worth that he sent his son into this world to die on a horrible cross so that his own son would pay the price for your sin and he could redeem you and rescue you from your sin and from the lies that you've lived in. God is truth. And whatever lies may be going around in your mind, and there are so many different kinds of lies. There are religious lies. There are social lies. There are relationship lies. Whatever lies 
Well, let me put it this way. Whatever you hear going around in your head, whatever you're being taught, take it back to the Bible, to the Word of God. Measure it against God because God is truth. And you will never be led astray if you bring it back to who God is. We've got to close. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you that you are a God of truth. And this morning as we have begun to explore that idea, I pray that you will liberate us from the lies that uh, have in some cases consumed us and led us into all kinds of behavioral and relational problems. I pray that you will liberate us from the lie of trusting ourselves and show us, Lord, that you're the only one who's really faithful and dependable and unchangeable and that we can always trust you. And Lord, if there are some here today who are just longing to be freed from lies and desiring to know the truth, I pray that you by your spirit right now will help them in their hearts to place their faith in you and to rely on you as the God of truth for their lives and for their soul's eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.